the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, we're back um, doing a coaching search podcast again, which is uh, hopefully doesn't become an annual thing, but this is the uh, second straight year we are sitting here uh, doing a coaching search, talking about coaching and who should be the next coach of the Dallas Stars and... uh, just it's not exactly the same spot we were last year but uh, it's almost the exact same spot i'm not saying that it's our fault but in the now almost year and a half existence of this podcast each off season the stars have fired or let go quote unquote their head coach so blame is justifiable in our direction but you know what's funny this is kind of something you think about i just thought about this right now um Everyone keeps saying, oh, how does Lynn, Jim Nill keep getting a coach? Um, Jim Nill continues to have a job when he's on his, he'll be on his third coach and everything like that. Jim Nill has never fired a coach in Dallas. Technically, you are correct. Lynn, if, if this is, Lindy Ruff was a, had a contract expire and they just decided to part ways. I mean, only one side decides to part ways, but they decided to part ways. And obviously, Ken Hitchcock is officially a retirement. So... Um, the semant- it's, it's semantics, of course, um, because both of those, obviously, it's there needed to be a change on both fronts. However, there was not a firing in either case for Jim Nill to uh, when it came to his coaches. Which I don't know. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's something that uh, helps his stock internally. I don't know. Obviously, obviously, we know externally people won't look at it that way, but maybe internally people look at it that way. That's true. I never did think about that. So that's that's kind of funny. I mean, I don't know if it's funny, funny, but it's kind of there's some humor there, I guess. Yeah, it's. I mean, we take a look at the timing of it, which this is kind of funny. It was actually a year to the day. April thirteenth, two thousand seventeen, was the Hitch's official introductory press conference, and then. April 13th, 2018, we are uh, looking at uh, Jim stands up, addresses the media about what's going forward for this franchise. Um, So that was kind of, the timing of that was kind of funny. Um, It's one of those where, like the coaching, like last year, we kind of saw this coming. Um, We obviously, as the season came to an end, we knew Lindy wouldn't be back. This year, we had kind of speculated and got that feeling after that eight game collapse that Hitch probably wouldn't be back, whether it was this type of retirement or if um, it was this type or if it was the team officially giving him the boot. Um, it was, uh, we've discussed it and I've written about it and I think Hitch, there's a couple ways to look at Hitch. Um, he deserves a lot of credit for a lot of things. Obviously he helped, he actually helped he helped put hockey on the map in Dallas. I think that's something that we, uh, if we, not not on this day, not in this, this one season stint, but I think if we're looking at the man's career and this truly is a retirement, you got to give him credit for what he did to help hockey in Dallas end up on the map, help the franchise won their first Stanley Cup. He was really great with the media in the mid-90s. I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, his career... In Dallas, I think that's something you can never take away for what he did with the Stars in the first stint. Um, I think you also need to give him credit for a couple short-term things he did this year. I think Tyler Sagan, I think Tyler Sagan will be a whoever the next coach is will uh, will help Tyler Sagan will continue to progress even further if Tyler Sagan can take some of the things he took from Hitch this year. Same thing with John Klingberg. Um, so I think before we go into the reasons he's gone, I wanted to just make say that there are. He, he does deserve credit for some things, and, and I wanted to make sure we got that out first. Right, and he's a guy who also had an incredible longevity considering the number of teams, the number of coaching stops he had. Mm-hmm. I hadn't, I mean, I knew he was with a couple different teams, but I don't think I really, I was kind of looking at it yesterday because I was kind of looking at, because I know he'd been, after Dallas he went Philly, then Columbus, then St. Louis, but I didn't know off the top of my head how long each of those days was. But it, it was pretty consistently like four or five years. So, I mean, that's there's something to be said for that, too. But now we're rightfully yeah. turning the page. 
Yeah, and it's it's one of those where I'm not sure if I'm not sure if it's something he believes when he wrote, but he he wrote and he addressed a letter to the uh, he wrote a letter that came out instead of immediate availability in his retirement yesterday, and uh, he talked about it was time to move on to a generation of younger coaches. I don't know if he that's something he truly believes or if it's just a really nice sentiment to write when you retire. Um, but either way, that's that's correct. I mean, it's I think there are. I was on the I was actually on the radio in Edmonton yesterday, and some and there was a percent and there's there, there's a high reverence for Hitch in the hockey world. Um, maybe almost too high of a reverence. Um, maybe maybe almost too high of a reverence for what he did in the past for what he was doing now. Because I was asked a couple times by people, said, "Well, I always thought Hitch was someone who was able to adapt with the times." And in a way, he was, but I think we kind of also saw that we we talked about it quite a bit. I've written about it quite a bit where he's not he it's a younger player's game in the NHL and he never really he never really embraced that and that's why that's why he's not that's why he's not a coach for the future in the NHL right now no matter how healthy or what his age is with his inability to trust younger players I don't think he just he it wouldn't work and it doesn't work in today's NHL exactly we've talked about that a lot Mm -hmm. this year that kind of Sorry, I dropped something. Uh, the way to win in the NHL these days is young players, and it's not even just a, it's a, becoming a faster, younger man's game, but just with the, the way that salaries are starting to become structured where you're paying your two, three, four best players close to eight, nine, ten million dollars a year, you have to fill out your roster with cheap players. And these days, the cheapest players are guys who are on entry-level contracts. It's just, I mean, that's just how the math is shaping up that you need these guys on your team. And if you're going to have them on your team, you need to be able to roll them out there. You have to, you have to let them sink or swim basically, because then you're never going to find out if they're capable of doing it. And you find a situation that Dallas found this year where your best players are wearing down towards the end of the year because your coach is riding them. I was thinking about this the other night when I was watching the, uh, I was thinking about this two nights ago, this was before they, before the hitch's retirement had officially come down, but think about when you think about how many. I mean, there's seven, eight defensemen that if you, and so many of them have been shuffled out by now because of that cap situation. But think the Ducks have made the playoffs. I think seven of the eight last eight years, or eight of the last eight years, something along those lines. Um, think about all the young defensemen that they've shuffled through. It seems like they've always got they've gotten a mix. It's very been very homegrown through the draft. Um, and we're not talking about drafting. I'm just talking about usage here. Where you think about, I'm just that's that's an example that came to mind when I was watching that Ducks Shark game, Ducks Sharks game the other night, where they've always had the defensemen who are in the early stages of their career on the ELC who could actually play minutes, and that's something that uh, the Stars haven't had. I mean, if you think about the Stars defensemen who played games this year, um, the ones that were on ELCs that actually played. That actually played are Honka and Hetherington, and neither of them you could say played big minutes or played key opportunities when they played. Right, and I mean it does get into it does get a little bit into drafting, but I mean if, I mean God, you got to think about it. They've had Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Sammy Votnin before they traded him midseason were all drafted and developed in house. They had Shea Theodore who. I mean, and that gets to another. I mean, gets into another situation where you lose Shea Theodore because then you're bringing in these high-priced guys like Kevin Bieksa and Clayton Stoner that yeah, you have I mean, to either protect or you bribe Vegas to take to get rid of. But yeah, and then I mean, Brandon Montour, Josh Manson. Mm-hmm. It's just good draft. I mean, it's good top-to-bottom management of assets. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about Hitch. We've talked a lot about. Uh, I mean, not just today. We've talked about Hitch in general a lot. Um, but let's move forward. I think that's kind of what we want to, how we want to start spinning this. We want to start taking a look because the coaching search has started. Um, Jim Jim Nill had a lot of good things to say at the uh, had a lot of I, he said all the right things at his press conference last year. I mean not not yet last year. He said all of the right things at his press conference last yesterday. Uh, now I. I also, in this situation, actions once again will speak much louder than words. Just like last year, we had uh, we had uh, we had Hitch had a, said all the right things in a press conference last year. Um, 
said all the right things in a press conference last year when he came in about how he could deal with millennials and how he could work with younger players. And he sold a really good bill of goods at his press conference last year. And then obviously that didn't, that wasn't reality. Um, so actions will speak louder than words. But Jim said all the right things. He talked about having have, needing to have a wide-spanning coaching search, looking at different angles. Uh, being willing to have to look at guys who don't have NHL head coaching experience. They have to have coaching experience, head coaching experience. It's important to have a guy who's actually run a bench before at some level. But um, they, uh, it's he said all the right things, and uh, he's it was put in the. If he can follow through on his words, I'm hopeful that they'll end up with a coach that uh, I think could help this team. Yeah, and. I mean, you hit the nail on the head that you kind of have to follow through on it because talking is one thing, but as we kind of gathered from this time last year, talk really doesn't mean anything if you're not going to follow through on it. Um, I don't know where you want to go with this. We talked a lot about this uh, earlier this week about candidates. Um, I've kind of started, not like I'm not like actively doing research, but I read some stuff actually this morning, and I am starting to trend towards all in on Sheldon Keith. Okay. Sell me on Sheldon. I like Sheldon Keith too, but what's your uh, what's your what's your research told you on Sheldon Keith? Um well, he is a guy who sounds like that he is demanding on players within reason. Like he he's kind of knows how to he can walk that line between good cop bad cop it kind of sounds like. He's a guy who has a pretty close relationship with Kyle Dubas. He followed him from the OHL to Toronto and thus is analytics friendly, which is a big selling point for me personally, because I hate people who harp on the eye test because I feel like I'm very, I can't, I I cringe whenever I say I'm very scientific because I always think of Trevor Bauer a couple years ago when he, sliced up his hand on his drone and everyone was giving him shit on Twitter. And he's like, I am just actually the most very scientific baseball player out there. And Trevor Bauer is an absolute garbage human being, but um, that's aside the point. But um, <laughs> there was a little, okay. a little mini rant. Um, okay. No, but um, I like a coach. I mean, just being, I feel like being supportive of analytics means that he has an open mind and he's not really set in one way or the other, which I feel like based on kind of what we saw as the season went along this year with Hitch is a very attractive proposition to me for a head coach. The other thing about Sheldon Keefe that I like, um, and this is the other reason I actually like another reason and people have known I've been on the Todd Nelson train and I've pushed for Todd Nelson, but, uh, and then uh, the other, the other AHL coach I've been, I've, I've liked quite a bit too is Pascal Vincent who was in Manitoba. Um, the one thing I like about those coaches, and I'm not, I would be fine with all three of those, um, is their NHL teams are actually, it's, they have AHL teams that are run like NHL teams, if you know what I mean. So the Marlies are a team that have, if there's, if they're, if you're looking as far as resources, if you're looking at resources that are put in, and if you're looking at resources that are put in, you're looking at staff, you're looking at uh, what's, avail- what's available to players in Toronto um, within the Marlies facilities and things like that, it's amongst the tops in the league, probably the tops in the league. And that, that's takes, that also comes down to there's management that comes, there's coaching management that comes to handling all that and handling some of the facets um, handling some of the facets that and management as a coach that you'd have to deal with in the NHL that you might not have if you were the head the AHL coach I don't know at the Charlotte Checkers and I'm not saying I'm not ripping on any other organization I'm just saying some organizations put way more money into their AHL team and similar and it's Grand Rapids is run similarly you've got Manitoba has a separate locker room but is in the same building as the Jets and is run in a similar is run in a similar fashion now. So I think there's some benefit too when we start looking at some of these names. I think it makes sense that we're talking about coaches who coach AHL teams that have uh, that come from AHL teams that their organizations have put more put more emphasis and going to going above and beyond at that top minor league level. 
Right, and not as much Detroit now, but with uh, Winnipeg and Toronto, you're also looking at two franchises that are, at least at the NHL level, are currently reliant on a ton of young talent. So that speaks Mm -hmm. to the player development model that Sheldon Keefe and Pascal have been a part of, which is good, I would say. That's another plus in both of their favors. Yeah, I think, uh, personally, I'm kind of on, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, uh, I know there's some people who there's some people, someone who said they don't they really don't want to see an AHL coach. Um, I, I talked to someone yesterday who said they don't want to see an AHL coach, and their first reasoning was because they pointed of how well the Glen how how poorly the Glenn Gullitson experience went, um, and to that I say you've got to look at each scenario with with contexts context context can't talk um context yeah glenn i mean glenn goldson was in a position where he was in a a team that didn't it was a team that was being run by the nhl that it was bankruptcy he he was kind of it was that's a kind of a tough spot to judge and i think if you're judging someone who used to be an ahl coach if you're judging someone who who was an ahl coach making their jump because of that move i think you're you're writing off some very good candidates. Right, because you can straight up point to guys like John Cooper, who came straight from the AHL, or Mike Sullivan, who came straight from the AHL, who are two of the yeah. best coaches in the league right now. And Even 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 older, I mean, Barry Trotz came straight from the AHL before right. he was before right. his NHL career. And I know he's not really a guy who's in who's as highly thought of in coaching circles as he was a couple years ago, but Dan Bilesman was in the same in the mm-hmm. same boat promoted in season from the AHL. You can't... We, we touched on this earlier this week, that the, the Gullitson situation was kind of murky in terms of how it went down. Um, and, I mean, you also figure that that team was run by Joe Neuendijk, and this is not a knock on Joe Neuendijk, but he was the first-time GM who I don't... I mean, who obviously his drafting record wasn't great. I And you're hamstrung by a lot of the moves you can make when you don't have an owner actively financing your team. Yeah. It's it's not easy to make decisions when you've got to go run everything by league offices in New York. Exactly, exactly. So, you have you have that. Um, so I think we talked about some of those coaches. Let's real quick before we uh, we'll get into some more names we want to talk about. But um, I want to I want to do some housekeeping things on a couple on a couple things to touch on real quick. Um, the I asked Neil yesterday, and he said they will be looking internally um, as well. Um, I'm not sure how serious that would be. Um, I, and part of that might be just a hey, let's throw a bone to the staff. Let's let's give them a, give them an opportunity. I'm not sure how serious that will be for them to get a job, um, because he. I mean, he also mentioned the coaching staff in Cedar Park. He's liked what Derek Laxtell has done. That's what he said yesterday. Now maybe maybe Derek Laxtell is a candidate. Maybe Derek Laxtell is just he's going to talk to him and he he gives him a uh, he gives him an it's it's, it's, a, it's a nice interview experience for for his coach in the AHL and then doesn't hire him but just it it's, it it keeps it's a good it's an it's a gesture of goodwill. Um, personally, I don't. Personally, I look at when I look at the coaching staff and I, uh, the current coaching staff, and I know people. I've seen a couple people bring up because I sent out a tweet last night, and I had people making suggestions of who who should be the next head coach, asking for people's suggestions and everything like that. Um, and, and there's actually I actually saw a couple people who came in and said they wanted the either Rick Wilson or Stu Barnes to be the next head coach, um, and I don't think either of those are a real legitimate option. Um, just to be frank about it, just to kind of get that out of the way here, um, Stu Barnes has no NH has no has no head coaching experience beyond coaching. He was a head coach at like a uh, prep high school program, basically. Um, it's like if you remember Stu Barnes' career, he finished as a player. He became an assistant coach with Dallas. He went into broadcasting for a little bit. He went and did some like prep work with a prep school where he was coaching there, and then he was an assistant coach. Um, I don't think Stu Barnes has the head coaching experience that you want on the bench to be a head coach. I mean, Stu could be a head coach sometime in his NHL career, but he's got to 
I think he's got to go be an AHL coach sometime, somewhere or be a head coach somewhere else before he can become a head coach because I don't know how good of a head coach Stu Barnes is. Um, fair? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, also, also, the other thing, too, is I mean, also I don't know how good of a coach Stu Barnes is. I know people really like Stu, um, but um, I know people really like Stu, but if Kurt Frazier was still running the Stars power play this year and it, and it had this result, we'd be talking about firing Kurt Frazier because of how bad the second power play unit was, but there was I never heard anyone on Twitter calling to fire Stu Barnes. Right, right. Um, so... Um, and I think Stu, I think Stu's one of the coaches that actually should still be on staff. I think Stu's a good hockey mind. If he works with the next coach, I think he could. He's one of the guys that could be on staff still. Um, the other one that keeps coming up is people says, "Oh, well, I think Rick Wilson should be the head coach." Um, I am vehemently against that because if you're looking for new age, if you're looking for younger, if you're looking for to avoid the issues that came with Hitch. You're not doing any of that with Stu, with uh, with Rick Wilson because Rick Wilson and Ken Hitchcock basically built their system together. They um, all the defensive decisions that people didn't like, how the defensive usage and everything like that. That wasn't just Hitch. Like Hitch obviously signed off on that, but Rick Wilson is the person who in game is saying to Julius Honka, "Don't go on the ice for defensive zone face off. I don't trust you." So. Keeping making Rick Wilson the head coach um, would not be a. It doesn't. It basically would be more of the same of Hitch, and you'd probably have and you'd you'd run into some of the same issues. Um, then obviously the other coach on staff is Kurt Frazier, who also has NHL head coaching experience. Who I don't think is a. I think I think I, I frankly I think Kurt actually really likes his role. I think he's kind of moved into that role where he can. I think people kind of forgot he was on the almost forgot he was an assistant coach this year because he was doing that eye in the sky watching games from the press box this year, where he wasn't on the bench, so he kind of moved out of the public eye. So I don't know if he wants that role or if that's something he's interested in, um, but I also don't think he's he's the right fit either. So um, moral of the story is I don't think the next coach is currently on on staff with the Stars. And that's fair to say. I would agree with all of that. I don't have anything else to add to that. You kind of hit. You kind of touched on it all. Yeah, I know. I just wanted to get that. As we call, they call it housekeeping. Um, here, I'll let you talk. I'll I'll throw it over to you. So the one name that keeps coming up, the one name that keeps coming up, and I'm intentionally teeing you up here because I know you're passionate about this topic. The one name that that came up on Twitter quite right away is all of a sudden, well, uh, the stars uh, let go of their Ken Hitchcock's retiring, so that must mean Elaine Vino will be the next coach in Dallas. That was the Twitter reaction, at least. And I get it. I mean, I truly, I truly get it, and I understand it because Elaine Vino is a guy that obviously there's, it, I, I can't really call it a connection, but there's still kind of that thing that this was, was allegedly a guy that no there was wanted. Conversations. Yeah, there were con- mm-hmm. conversations. This was a guy that Jim No wanted before he hired Lindy Ruff. He's a guy who, in his first year in New York, he took him to the finals. He took Vancouver to the finals, so he's been to the Stanley Cup finals twice. But, I, I mean, you look at the Rangers the last couple of years. They were good the year after they made the finals. They lost in the conference finals. Then they just kind of progressively got worse until they bottomed out to what they were this year. And the thing with Elaine Vigneault is, and I mean, you, I, I feel like we talked about this a bit earlier this week, and I saw you touch on it once or twice on Twitter. The problem with Hitch wasn't that his system was, at least my qualm with Hitch wasn't that his system was so grotesquely awful that he just needed to, to be, be done with. Because he brought good aspects to the stars. He, he did good things with, some good things with the team this year. The problem with Hitch was player usage. Mm-hmm. And if you bring in Elaine Vigno, it's like you didn't change anything. Because the biggest gripe that I saw with Elaine Vino on Twitter from Rangers fans this past year was that he's playing older guys who are quote-unquote his guys that really don't have a place playing the minutes they were playing in the NHL because they're quite frankly not very good hockey players. Where you have younger guys who were toiling away in the same vein that Jason Dickinson and Julius Honka were on the Stars this year because he didn't trust them. So yeah. I, ju- I don't understand how bringing him in would fix any of those 
systemic problems. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Langvinio as the fit. It just, it's not, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, he's also under, he's also one of those retreads where this would be, Elaine Vino. This would be his fourth NHL coaching job, um, and not saying that, some, but not saying that you shouldn't give someone four NHL coaching jobs. I'm not arguing against that, but this would be his fourth team he's coached with, and he doesn't fit. He certainly doesn't fit that realm of we're going to. He really doesn't fit that realm of we're going to take a look at everyone. And we're going to make sure that we find someone who's grown up with the game because Elaine Vina, older coaches who have have had jobs for had jobs for 10, 15 years in the NHL, they do what works for them to keep their job. And it's they do they want to win the Stanley Cup? Of course they everyone wants to stand to win the Stanley Cup, but you also coach to keep your job. And Elaine Vigneault is going to be the same coach in Dallas that he was in New York because he's going to say, this is what's worked for me to keep my job. This has gotten me, helped me win before. And the game's changed. It, like, it's... Um, so, Elaine, I, I am not on the... I am I am against the Elaine Vigneault uh, experience. And I just want... I, I legitimately want, if anyone's listening to this who is on board with Elaine Vigneault, I just want to know why. Like, I don't... And I don't mean that to be snarky. I'm legitimately curious as to what the argument is for him, you're, other you're, than you're he's looking won. For, you're looking for a fair discussion. You're you're looking to hear the counterpoint, which is yeah. fine. I, th- I think it's good to hear the counterpoints. I mean, I have the guy I'd like to hire. I'm willing to hear the counterpoints against him too. So it, it's the you're, you're looking to hear the counterpoint, and I, I don't know exactly what it is. I think the other thing is I think there's a distrust for. I think there's that he's a, he's a big name and. It's easy to get. It's easy to attach and to think a big name can do it when, when you don't know about the. Uh, when you when you don't know when you, it's easy to attach to a big name when it's easier to say oh well they've done that when you don't know when you when there's no NHL experience for the guy because you don't know what he's going to be like so I can see why there I can see some hesitancy I think people should have less hesitancy about coaches from the AHL or from other ranks or anything like that, but I can I guess that's kind of the logic. And someone can tell me if I'm wrong if that's what their view is, but Well right, and I yeah. I completely get that that you have on one hand you have someone who's a known quantity who's had success in the past and that can be enticing. Whereas with a, a guy who's currently coaching in the AHL, it's completely unknown. You don't know how he's going to response not the right word. You don't know how he's gonna adapt or whatever to the NHL you don't know what you're going to get out of that so I get that but that's kind of we're, we're in the in the position now where we if we are making an argument for Lane Vino we're saying the same things that we said about Ken Hitchcock last year and uh, and look where that got us so I mean that's that's my whole thing is I I want I want to hear somebody who's all in on Lane Vino give me a legitimate argument as to why because I'm curious because I just don't see it I mean, I do see it, but I don't see the validity to it because it just seems more of the same thing that we've done the last two times when there's been a head coaching hire made in Dallas where it's we're going to get the older, experienced guy who's had success in the league before, and it just has not panned out. So it seems like it's time to try something new here. Yeah, The two other coaches, just to stick with NHL experience real quick, the two other coaches that I think are intriguing um, – is uh, and we'll talk. We'll talk about both of them um, here real quick. The first one, he has ties to the organization. He's he's older. He is older. I mean, we talk about Hitch's age, and Hitch was sixty six, and so Willie Willie Desjardins is who I'm talking about. Um, Willie Desjardins is sixty one. Um, had his first NHL coaching job with Vancouver that lasted three years. He didn't have a very good team in Vancouver. Um, coached Canada to bronze medal at the Olympics this year and has, has and, and knows the organization. He's he coached the he coached the Texas Stars to the Calder Cup. He was the AHL coach of the year down there. He was an associate coach in Dallas before that. I know he's got a good I know he actually has a good relationship with Jamie Benn. Um he could be an option he could be an option that the stars could talk to. Um now um I mean, it's an intriguing, it's an intriguing option. I'm not. It's. 
I think he could do, I actually think, and this is me, maybe this is my bias, having covered him in Texas and seen how he gets players to work together. May I think he could actually be a good option in Dallas. I think he does a really good job. One thing that uh, Desjardins really does a really good, uh, Willie does a really good job of is he does a really good job of getting everyone on the same page. That's something that he's always been, it's been one of his strengths as a coach, and I think that's something the Stars can really could really use to get everybody on the same page. Um, just and by way of that, I mean getting those younger players up and elevated on the same page with those older players and get everyone kind of feeling connected. He also treats everyone very similarly. Um, obviously, you have to treat some guys different than others, but he treats guys relative pretty similarly across the board, which I think goes a long way uh, in both opportunity. Um, you can earn opportunity, and then you can have, and you also give an opportunity. Um, and I also think he does a good job of he does a good job of letting of meshing his style to uh, meshing his style meshing a style to the team he coaches as opposed to imposing a style on the team, um, which I think is another thing I'd like to see from a coach is whoever it is that they can take a look at the group they have and say, okay, this style. Here's what here's what would work best with this group, and I think Willie does a good job of that. Um, is he the best candidate? Maybe, maybe not. But he's he. I think he's certainly an intriguing candidate, and I think there's some connection there that could that could work if you're looking for the slight connection. Now he did miss the playoffs his final two years in Vancouver, and he didn't coach in the NHL this year, so there's there's that. But I mean, what what do you think about that name when I throw that name out there? Yeah, we talked about this for a little bit yesterday and I think he was kind of a name that I think crossed my mind at one point in time but it was one of those things where it was like it just popped in and then I thought about it for 15 seconds and then it popped back out but I mean we're talking about when when Gleb Gullison had his shot in Dallas how he didn't really get a fair shake Willie didn't really get that fair of a shake in Vancouver either because that's just an abysmally run franchise um so we're not necessarily talking about a guy who's who falls into this realm of coaches who get recycled and every time there's an opening they get talked about and then rehired. He has a familiarity with the organization and it's pretty recent familiarity. His last year in Texas was four years ago, so mm-hmm. some of the guys that he coached on that championship team are on up with the big club right now. He's a guy he's probably the one guy who is a former NHL head coach that I would be okay with them hiring just because of his his familiarity with some of the guys on the team, the fact that he was very successful in his short stint as an AHL coach. His, when he was in the WHL, he was very successful as well. So he's had success, and I don't necessarily know how much you can judge on him based on his last two years in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Just because of, it's like, I know we talked, I meant, I threw up, I brought up Dallas Eakins the last time we talked in Edmonton. It's kind of the same thing with him. I don't really know how good of an NHL coach he can be because he got called in to coach the Oilers when they were in a period of, I mean, you could argue, I guess, that they're still in this period of just being Mm -hmm. truly horribly run. But I mean, it's one of those things that it's a factor that you have to consider when you're analyzing coaches. Yeah, you got you to look at that. I mean, you got to take a look at it where no one is. If you take a take a look at a coach who's had, if you take a look at a coach who's had a bad NHL experience or has struggled, has struggled in an NHL experience after coaching the AHL, you do owe yourself a favor of looking at why. Because no coach, if you're if you're an AHL coach. And if you're an AHL coach, no AHL coach is ever going to, I guess you might, but most people, you're looking for that next job in life. And if you're not going to turn down an NHL coaching job just because you're like, oh, well, this might go poorly. So that, that's, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like Dallas Eakins or, 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 or Willie basically could have, would have been in an opportunity, would have said, well, I'm going to turn down those jobs I'm going to turn down this opportunity because it won't set me up well for my next job. You have to take the job. You have to take the job to go to the NHL. Um, and I think that's something, when, when that comes to mind, you also have to look at why things went wrong and what went wrong. Um, I think it's, so I, you, you bring up a good point where you got to use context there. Another word I couldn't use it's, earlier. It's um, really funny that you mentioned that because the exact opposite thing is happening in college hockey right now. I saw something earlier this week that, top assistant coaches are turning down the Alaska Anchorage job because they fear that the uncertainty around that program is a just disaster is it 
it's not a, a tenable situation and they're afraid that if they go in there and they bomb out after three years that they'll never get another shot. So it's kind of kind of funny that at different levels of hockey, different yeah. thought processes are happening. Well, if you're a top assistant in college hockey, you're probably, I mean, I, I guess you're probably still in that conversation. I mean, the difference between, I think there's a difference between looking at the Alaska Anchorage job and an NHL job, right? Like, I think there's... Right, because it, you're, it, if yeah. you're, you're looking, I mean, even if Vancouver or Edmonton or whoever is a horribly run franchise, there was legitimate talks within the last year of either completely getting rid of the of the both Alaska schools either getting rid of hockey or them like conjoining to form one Alaska team which I don't know how that would have worked. They're so not it's, close it's to compl- each other. No, they are. Fairbanks and Anchorage are several hours apart. Yeah. And I think it's like I the flight to get up there I've heard is just it's it's a process. So I'm it, it's process. different. It's, it's a different <laughs> different little slightly different context here. Yeah. Yep. Um yeah, well, I mean, and, and also you take a look at it's, it's a market too where there was the ECHL team in Alaska for a long time that was actually highly successful, that that shut down because of it just wasn't viable. I think after last season or the year before, I'd have to double check which year the Alaska Aces were done, but that's a market that hasn't. Um, I don't think that I'm not saying it's not a hockey market, but it's it's not a very uh, it's not really a market that's. A sp- that can really support things with a lot of fine, uh, with a lot of income, basically. I think right, where I'm, where I'm right. going here, and it's, I mean, it's just tough to get. It's, I don't know exact the exact financial arrangements, but it's kind of weird how it goes. Like the stipend that the Alaska schools pay to other schools in their conference to travel out there because the travel they're playing. I mean, obviously, Alaska is on the far west side of. The United, it's not even part of the continental United States, and they're playing in a league that pretty much all of the programs are in the Midwest. So that's, it's not like it's you know, Western Canadian teams or Western United States teams. So it's, yeah. Well, also does uh, of course the dogs bark this time. Um, is uh, does Alabama Huntsville pay a stipend? I don't think so because, as far as I'm aware. Everyone buses to Huntsville, whereas they fly to Alaska. All right, back from quick pause. Everyone, no one else knows this, but because we, we cut and edited it, but basically I just went to scare off Jehovah's Witnesses who were trying to interrupt our podcast. They clearly missed the memo. <laughs> but they wanted, they just wanted to know if you've heard about the good news. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. I haven't seen a Jehovah's Witness in a long time. We used to get them in Vegas all the time. I don't think they yeah. exist in college towns, so. though. Actually, that's a lie. I know they do because on – have you ever I, – I might have been a while since you made this drive, but down by the mire in Bowling Green, if you keep driving, I think it's east down that road, there's a Jehovah's Witness church out there. Is there really? Yeah. I don't remember exactly huh. what it's called, but I always pass it's been it. It's been a long time since I've made that drive, but yeah. Like if you're, it's, hmm. if you're going from uh, Wooster to – Route six to get to like Fremont or Sandusky or whatever. Fun fact. Fun fact. Okay, uh, back to hockey. Um, we had I had asked I had asked if Alabama Huntsville paid a stipend, and I think you said they all bust there, so we'll kind of move on. Um, but uh, it's a good segue because one thing that will come up with uh, well, we'll actually we'll. We'll pause and we'll use that segue later because we still have to talk about Bill Peters. Um, but we'll talk about college hockey coaches in a minute. Um, but the other NHL coach, other coach with NHL experience, recent NHL experience that I've that name that comes up and some others have looked at is Bill Peters, with, who is currently the coach of the Carolina Hurricanes and coaching the um, and is coaching actually Hockey Canada at the World Championships. Peters is under contract for next year but has a out in his contract. I'm not sure the exact timing of it. Um, we're still trying to, I've done some digging and talked to some others who have done some digging to try and figure out exactly what that means. Um, so there is, but Peters has connections with Jim Nill going back to the Detroit days. They've worked together with Hockey Canada before. Um, that's an interesting one because that's a coach who would be taking his second NHL job 
but wouldn't be doing so because he was fired. See, it's, I just, it's one of those things that you kind of mentioned this to me yesterday, and it caught me off guard because it's not something that I had really thought about. Because, you know, when a guy's a head coach at a current team, it's not like this is college football where you're poaching another team's coach. Um, I didn't know about the out in his contract. And honestly, I don't really know how I feel about Bill Peters because I feel like Carolina's a team that y- y- they're one of those teams that you always see people talking about on Twitter saying, you know, their underlying statistics are pretty good. They're a team that should be improving and they just never improve. Yeah. I mean, he hasn't made the playoffs in his stretch there. And now obviously that's, we talked about earlier about looking at why things went for certain coaches. Um, but, uh, we talked about we talk, but he also hasn't made the playoffs and I think he's had pretty good I think he's had pretty good teams, right? Yeah, they have a lot of talent. It's it's one of those things that I mean their defense is very good. They have very good young defensemen. They have some pretty decent forwards on their team, but their goaltending for the last 5 to 7 years has been absolute crap. Might have been I, their goaltending situation might be worse than the Stars is was I should say not like present tense is but was the last couple of years okay I mean we I mean you think about what went wrong with the I mean Scott Darling didn't work that was something where we had actually we had talked on this podcast we had talked about Scott Darling being an option and Scott Darling didn't work um for them this year now maybe he'll work next year who knows but uh yeah um I mean, the other thing that's interesting with Carolina, and I think taking a look at some, and some people sent me a couple things about him, and there's one thing that intrigues me about Bill Peters, just I have to take a look at it, and I have to kind of do some more research on it myself, but um, a lot of people talk about how he lets his, what he does, and I've read a little bit about it and looked at it, what he does is he allows his defensemen to hold the puck for a lengthy amount of time. He lets them hold. He puts more pressure, more. Uh, he puts more emphasis on them holding the puck and possessing the puck and everything like that. And that's something that, with a defensive core of John Klingberg, Julius Honka, Miro Heiskanen, Steven, even Stephen Johns, Hessel Lindell, that that's a that's that's something that could work with this defensive group. Um, that's an element that I really like about Bill Peters, uh, just having seen that. Um, now, is that does he check all the other boxes? I'm not sure. I need to. I frankly, I need to go. I'm going to watch some more Hurricanes games later this week to get kind of get an idea about it. But that's an element that if he was the person to hire, I'd be. It would. It would. It would work in that element for sure. Yeah, that one's intriguing because I don't pay a ton of attention to the Eastern Conference in terms of like actually watching the games. So, I mean, because I feel like that's always kind of been the thing with him that at least that I've seen through reading articles and through Twitter is that he trusts his young defensemen and he lets them make plays and they're more of a team that likes to possess the puck into the zone than do the dump and chase thing, which is good. That's very good. I am all for that. But... I really would be interested to know on a deeper dive what's not what's been the issue there that's kind of caused them to never kind of break through and become a consistently good team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that I plan to. One thing that for over in the athletic having a, one thing we're planning on doing for the athletic is to kind of change, take a look at a bunch of these coaches and options and kind of look at how their teams play and go through some tape and watch some of their games. That's actually a project I'm kind of excited about over the next couple of weeks um, to do kind of my own unofficial coaching search. Caroline is kind of one of the first on the list just to kind of see what how his team play, how his team does that. And I'm, I'll also be interested to see what he does with, because uh, he's coaching Team Canada at the World Championships. I'm interested to see how he has, uh, how he helps Team Canada, how he has Team Canada play. That'll also be interesting to see. Um so he's an interesting option. I think he's. I think the conversation may happen there. The other interesting thing with him is you got to figure out what the what the timing on that out clause is, because say it's and I don't know what the timing is. I've been trying to do some digging and I don't know exactly what it is. 
Um, but say the timing is, okay, Bill can leave and not come back, but he has to make that decision by June 1st. That would mean the stars would have to make their, uh, make their decision by June 1st. And I'm not sure if you want to rush this decision or if Bill Peters is guaranteed your guy and you say, okay, well, well he's our guy, but we're, he's, he's our guy so much that we don't need to interview a coach that may be coaching deep in the playoffs in another league. So um, there's a couple caveats that come with Bill Peters. Um, it's intriguing. It's interesting. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm interested. To, he's a guy who I'm interested to learn more about, frankly, just in kind of watching his teams and everything like that right now. Right. And then there's, I mean, I feel like going to Worlds is, I mean, it does depend on what, what the window is for him to opt out. I feel like him going to Worlds makes it less likely that he would. But I'm also curious as to what his thoughts would be with the new ownership there, because it seems like their new owner is kind of intrusive, for lack of a better word. Well, and, and I know, he, I mean, the owner already promoted quote-unquote, as GM, out of a job. Um, and the other thing, it's... it's Like, I, I think... I was thinking about it here. Like the owner the owner in Carolina is compared quite a bit to Mark Cuban. Um, that's how he's been described to me. And I'm not, and I'm not saying it in the... Uh, I'm not saying it in the way... He, I'm not saying, insinuating anything like he got, he's gotten into the crap that Cuban's gotten into in other stuff, but in the way that Cuban has to have control and has to have have his hands in everything. Um, and I don't know how much a coach wants that. It takes, you have to be willing to, uh, you have to be willing to, uh, that's, some, that's something that you have to be willing to accept. And uh, I'm not sure, that's not, a, that's a not an easy thing to, to, to just blanketly accept that your owner may be kind of needling and things like that. And in Dallas, if the owner deserves, so the owner may have, and you know what, the owner did. I, I think we, we think we, it's all pretty became pretty clear. The owner did have, uh, the owner did have something to do with had had a big hand in Ken Hitchcock becoming the coach in Dallas. But the owner also doesn't needle on a day to day basis. The owner in Dallas, Tom Gillardi, to give Gillardi credit, he doesn't go through, and he's not, um, he's not, he's not telling. He's not. I, there's certain players Gallardi likes that play every game. I mean, there's certain players that Gallardi doesn't like that play every game, and uh, he doesn't come down and tell the, the the coach not to play those guys. He doesn't tell Jim Nill to trade for this guy or not trade for that guy. So while Gallardi has did have an impact in Hitch being here, it's not like he's a coach who on a daily basis, an owner who is on a daily basis who is coming in and saying you have to do this or you have to do that. Yeah, and that's, I'm sure, for because most owners aren't quote-unquote hockey people, so I'm sure for the people who are making the decisions, that's a little irksome for them. It's like kind of one of those things, you know, let me do my job. I've been doing this my entire life, and here you are, some rich man, trying to tell me what to do when you don't really have a clue. Yeah. Um, so Bill Peters is interesting. We'll dive more into him later. Um, I will, in the writing realm... Um, going, we were a segue we were going to use earlier, but we'll use it now. We talked about college hockey coaches, and there is the possibility, and the the stars could interview college coaches for this job, um, or at least reach out and see if if there's any interest there. Um, I think. When, when I when I when I think about hiring a college coach, um, a couple things come to mind for me. Um, one, I think it can work. I think there's ways it can work. I mean, in Philadelphia, Dave Haxtall has gone from North Dakota to, to taking to taking Philadelphia to the playoffs. Um, I think there's a couple, but the one thing I think we have to think about with college coaches, there's two things that come to mind for me. The first is from the college coach perspective, and you can you can probably attest to this. Um, you can probably attest to this more than I can, having covered college hockey more recently. Um, if you're a college coach at a good program, you get good job security. College hockey coaches, you can get a job. You can. It may not be NHL money. It may not be NHL fame, but you can spend 
spending 10 15 years somewhere is is not is not out of the realm of is not out of the realm of possibility. So if you're we're talking about these college coaches that are successful and things like that, there's not there may not be even be the interest for them to go. I mean, how long has Jeff Jackson been at Notre Dame? Right? Um uh, yeah, early 2000s at least. Well, that's even Don Lucia at Minnesota. I've got it since the 90s up until this year. So it's I mean, it's one of those things that if you find a spot, you can have a an entire career at a college program. And it's, and it's a good life. And I mean, NHL coaches, coaches and pro sports are hired to be fired. I mean, eventually the, no one spends, no one's sp- eventually everyone runs their course as an, as a head coach in all pro sports. Um, I guess Bill Belichick seems to be the one person who seems immune in football. But um, if you think about college athletics, you can, if you want stability, if you've got, you want your family to stay in one spot practically for, ever you have a better chance of doing that at as a college coach and so that's that's a factor that i think these college coaches have to weigh when when that call is made of whether do they want to jump to the nhl do they want to take the risk and jump to the nhl or do you continue to make a pretty nice salary you probably get you probably get some nice perks from the university maybe housing maybe a car i don't know exactly but um so that's something too where you also have to kind of sell these college coaches too of why they should leave the college ranks to come out um, because the guys they're talking about have been the successful ones. It's not like you're going to the college coaches that are like, oh, I need it. I need an out. These are the guys who have been pretty successful. Right, and you're at, you're talking about not guys who have just been successful, but guys who are at programs that are capable of sustaining success over a long period of time. So it's one of those things that it's like, you know, do I want to uproot my family? I got a good thing going here right now to try to try to chase this or do I just, you know, stay here? Well, so the names and some, some of the other the other thing that comes into play with college coaches, too. Um, and it's just because we're trying to if you're looking at a coaching candidate and you've got to look at both the good and the bad about it. Um, the one thing you have to question and you have to look into is can these guys be a head coach at the pro level? Because uh, there is a big difference, a between coaching pros and coaching between coaching pro players and coaching college players on a couple different levels. A, you've got you've you're coaching players different. There's much different off ice things you're dealing with. Maybe in some guys, maybe it's easier to deal with college pro guys and college guys. Maybe it depends on the coach. The other thing is, um, it's easy. To, it's easier to uh, not not easier. I'll take away the strike the word easier but it's different to prepare for a college coach to college schedule where you get to practice four days a week you get to work on practice four days a week you guys have the guys in the weight room a couple days a week you get to have and then you play friday saturday um there's a big difference between that schedule and coaching to that schedule than there is to um coaching at the coaching the nhl or the ahl where it's 82 games there's a big difference there and that's something where you have to just look i mean and some coaches can make that transition you just have to look to see can that respective coach make that transition right and you're talking about an inherently different just atmosphere and not in terms of an arena but like when you're a head coach at a college program you are the coach you are the gm you are practically i mean the owner isn't really but you kind of are the owner too, I guess, sort of in a way. But I mean, you have total control over basically every aspect of your program. I mean, at these, especially at these bigger programs, you're consistently recruiting guys and shuffling them in and out of the lineup. You're not having the same players on eight-year deals and everything like that. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's the same talk that you hear. I mean, with coaches who are potential college coaches potentially getting look at the NFL is the same thing you hear talking about them there. How can they manage older guys, pros? Uh oh, the Jehovah's are back. Oh, dogs. It's okay. There's no one out there now. Continue. And that's but that's basically the, the overarching point is I, I maybe it's not as extreme when you're talking about football versus hockey, but it, it's still some of those same conversations are the ones that are happening that how can this coach adapt to handling the same players on a year-to-year basis instead of just consistently bringing new guys in and out. How can you manage older players and whatnot? Yeah. It is a little different game, too. I mean, depending on your league, like, 
I know I know the WCHA fairly well, and that's a league that's very it, it's trending more towards catching up with the times. But for the longest time, it was kind of that same old clutch and grab league because there was a disparity between the really strong programs and the programs who aren't. I mean, I mean, there's still that disparity, but the talent gap is narrowing a little bit. But the talent gap used to be so wide that the pace of play was just absolutely garbage because the lesser teams in the league didn't have the talent to compete. So they basically just tried to even the playing field by slowing it down and clogging it up, which doesn't really happen in the NHL. And I, I mean, it's not when we're talking about these successful coaches, these aren't the coaches we're talking about. So, I mean, I guess that was kind of a point that didn't really need to be made there, but it is a little bit different game as well. Yeah, so we'll talk real quick. Some of the names that come to mind are Jim Montgomery at Denver, um, David Quinn at Boston university and uh, guy and guy Godowski at Penn state. Um, I know having watched, I've watched a little bit of more, I've watched more of BU this year than the other two, just because I've watched, intentionally watched a couple games from Jake Ottinger. Um, I know Montgomery won a, won a national title last year. His teams play fast. Um, I know you, you and I talked on the phone the other day, you're saying Penn State plays aggressive, I think is what you're, is the word you're using about them. Right, and they're a team that, I mean, they've only been a, Guy Gadkowski's been their only coach in program history. They've only been around for, what, I think their first year as an independent was five years ago. I think that sounds So, good. I mean, he's been their only coach in program history, and I mean, I think they've made, they've made the tournament again this year. I think they made it two other times as well. So, I mean, there was a pretty fast build-up job there. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't really kind of that you know, we're a new team and now we're kind of taking our lumps. They were pretty competitive pretty quick, which is impressive to see. Yeah, I, I think, I know Montgomery's been the name. A bunch of people have been pushing and Montgomery was actually interviewed for the Florida job last year. I know that much. Um, and then I think, I can't remember, I believe he pulled his name out of the consideration, I think. Um, yeah, that sounds right. So Montgomery is kind of that goes back to that first point we were talking about college coaches, where Montgomery has to see a situation where he feels like it's stable here. That's the other thing. Where it just and now this is me trying to read tea leaves. I'm not saying I've talked to Jim Montgomery, but um, he if for a guy who was up for one NHL job and decided not to go after it, um, you have to be able to present him on this is a stable position. This is something stable for him, and. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know what his view of the Dallas Stars is. Um, so that's, he's an intriguing name. Um, I know, I think it was, I know someone said that the skill players would love to play for him and everything like that. And so maybe he could be, he could be a good option, maybe. Um, I don't, I'm not, personally, I'm, I'm a bit more, I, I, I like going back to the Sheldon Keefe's and the Todd Nelsons of the world, um, just because of, I think there's a bit of, I, I think I, I, I put value and maybe I respect the AHL too much. Maybe I don't, whatever, but I put value on having coaching head coaching experience on pro players in a 76 game schedule. And, um, and I think there's, um, I, th I think there's a lot of value in that. And that's where I kind of end up going back to, uh, Nelson Keefe's and the Todd Nelson's of the world. I don't think that I think the college guys should certainly be looked at and you talk to and you spread your wide net and I'll certainly watch a bunch of their games from both those teams. I'll try and watch video from both all three of those teams as we start to do some research on our own end. Um, but uh, I, I think whoever the, if it's going to be the college coach, they really need to come in and be able to sell something um, sell something to me. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It's not that I'm against one per se. It just has to be the right fit. And I don't know. I think that's one of those things that I am not paid to make that decision. So, Well, it will be interesting to see. Um, anyone, 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 we for, anyone we've forgotten? I don't think so. I think that kind of covers yeah. it. Um, I saw... Oh, I don't remember where I saw it or who threw it up, but... So I saw Dave Tippett's name somewhere, and I'm, I would very much like to say that when I said last week, earlier this week, that, hey, let's see what Dave Tippett's up to these days, that was sarcasm, and I said it in a way that we should not do that, not, let's go get Dave Tippett. And then there was, I, I don't think it was Paul, it was someone else who'd coached, it wasn't Paul McLean, I don't think, but it's someone else who coached Ottawa recently, and I'm, 
no, just <laughs> no retreats. Yeah. That's basically where I'm yeah. at. Yep. Well, um, I guess we will uh, end with our typical ending now. Of we'll uh, wait for something to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I man, I don't even know when because you're making you made it seem like this is going to be a pretty drawn out process, which makes sense because obviously there you have a lot of guys who are still in season. So yeah, and I can't really see him making any actual trades or whatnot within the next month or two. So might be a, might be a minute here. We'll see. Everyone, uh, thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk soon enough.